This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Russia's strikes on Ukrainian infrastructure caused mass blackouts and obliged officials to remove three nuclear power plants from the national grid as a precautionary measure. The western city of Lviv was left, quote, without light and had, quote, interruptions to its water supply, according to its mayor. Rockets killed three people in Kyiv, the capital. Meanwhile, Moldova, which borders Ukraine to the east, also experienced a, quote, massive outage that left over half the country without power, according to its government. A, quote, substantial majority of Federal Reserve policymakers said it would be appropriate to slow the pace of monetary tightening according to minutes released on Wednesday from their meeting earlier this month. Investors foresee interest rates rising by half a percentage point when America's central bank meets in December, following four consecutive three-quarter point increases. Leaders from the Democratic Republic of Congo, Rwanda, and several other African countries agreed to a ceasefire starting on Friday in eastern Congo, following a spate of attacks by the M23 rebel group. Troops from Kenya, Uganda, and elsewhere in East Africa will enforce the deal. Congo accuses Rwanda of supporting M23 and recently expelled the Rwandan ambassador. Georgia's Supreme Court reinstated a ban on abortion at about six weeks gestation, before many women even know that they are pregnant. Thirteen states have outlawed the procedure in nearly all instances since Roe v. Wade was overturned. And yet, Americans are not particularly keen on such restrictions. Abortion rights supporters won several victories at the midterms. Judges from Britain's Supreme Court ruled that Scotland's devolved parliament cannot pass a law calling for a referendum on independence without the approval of Britain's government. Scotland's first minister, Nicola Sturgeon, argues that the result of a referendum in 2014 in which Scots rejected independence is out of date, but the government in Westminster does not want another vote. International tourism will reach 65% of pre-pandemic levels by the end of 2022, according to the World Tourism Organization, a UN agency. The lifting of COVID-19 restrictions led to a holiday boom this year, with over double the number of foreign trips between January and September compared with the same period in 2021. A gloomy global economic outlook may yet weaken the industry's recovery. Twin bomb attacks on Jerusalem's bus network during rush hour killed one and injured at least 18 people. Israeli police blamed the explosions on Palestinian militants, though no group has yet claimed responsibility. The blasts, which are the first bomb attacks on Israeli civilians since 2016, according to local police, follow months of heightened Israeli-Palestinian tensions. And fact of the day, $63 billion the amount that firms have raised from IPOs on Chinese exchanges this year, compared with $21 billion in New York. Owing to the Thanksgiving holiday, the next audio edition of The World in Brief will be published on Friday morning, U.S. Eastern Time. Until then, please check the Espresso or Economist apps for the latest news. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. South Korea's Economic Quagmire When the Bank of Korea's Monetary Policy Committee meets on Thursday, Ri Chong-yong, its governor, is expected to raise its interest rate above the current level of 3%. 
Failure to keep up with America's Federal Reserve, which hiked rates to 3.75% on November 2nd, could trigger capital flight from South Korea, further weakening the won. But increasing rates also carries risks. Bond markets have been in turmoil for almost two months since the governor of Gangwang province refused to pay back creditors who bought bonds issued to fund the construction of Legoland, an amusement park. A U-turn from the Gangwang government and a liquidity injection into the corporate bond market did little to calm investors. With personal debt levels high, the central bank is under pressure to keep rates steady to avoid defaults and fend off a recession. Mr. Rhee has warned of growing signs of stress. He may be talking about himself as much as the economy. Opening Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago Documents Since August, Donald Trump has sought to thwart a government probe into classified documents that the FBI seized from his home in Florida. The former president's lawyers had early success in persuading a district court judge to restrict investigators' access to the documents and appoint an independent reviewer, known as a special master, to screen them for material protected by executive privilege. But on appeal, the case has trended against Mr. Trump. Following a hearing on Tuesday at the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, where judges were skeptical that courts should interfere with the executive branch's ongoing investigation in a criminal matter, the skirmishing seems likely to end in the Justice Department's favor. A ruling giving investigators access to the documents could come at any time after Thanksgiving. Last week, Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, named Jack Smith as special counsel to take on both the Mar-a-Lago documents and Mr. Trump's role in the January 6th insurrection. A quick ruling could sweep a major obstacle from Mr. Smith's path. The EU squabbles over an energy price cap. Another month, another packaged agenda for EU energy ministers as they meet on Thursday. A warm autumn has offered some respite from dizzying wholesale energy prices, but policymakers are already bracing for a difficult 2023. The main topic of discussion is a cap on the price of gas used to generate electricity, proposed by the European Commission on Tuesday. Opponents, notably gas-dependent Germany, fear that such a cap may lend suppliers to reduce shipments to Europe, thus intensifying the energy crisis. But advocates of a cap are not thrilled with the Commission's proposal either. The ceiling is set at a lofty €275 $284 per megawatt hour and would apply only when European wholesale prices diverge from those of global liquefied natural gas, as they did over the summer. Another proposal on the table is to speed up the rollout of renewable energy to reduce Europe's dependence on gas. That is less controversial and probably a lot more effective. A fundraising tour for Cuba's president On Thursday, Cuba's communist president, Miguel Diaz-Canel, will land in China to ask its president, 
Xi Jinping for economic help. His rare trip abroad, which also took him to Algeria, Russia, and Turkey, is a sign of desperation. The gradual deterioration of Cuba's economy under six decades of dictatorship has been exacerbated by tighter American sanctions during Donald Trump's administration, the pandemic, and now inflation. Food is scarce and expensive, and power outages afflict Havana, the capital. Yet Mr. Diaz-Canal has reason for optimism. His four hosts may find that footing a moderate bill to help 11.3 million Cubans is worth it to poke a stick at America. Algeria's government, for example, has already agreed to export oil and gas to Cuba and donate a solar plant. China may also consider restructuring or even forgiving Cuban debt and could offer technical assistance in energy and farming. But despite such relief, until the Communist Party loosens its grip, Cuba will be forced to depend on its allies. Volodymyr Zelensky, Speechmaker After Russia's invasion, the speeches of Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, were beamed to parliaments, award ceremonies, and front pages around the world. A new collection of Mr. Zelensky's speeches will be published on Thursday. Proceeds from its sales will go to United24, an initiative that channels donations to the Ukrainian state itself. A Message from Ukraine includes 16 speeches, spanning Mr. Zelensky's hopeful inauguration in 2019 to his wartime call to arms in 2022. It also features a preface by The Economist's Russia editor. The collection displays the president's firm grasp on the emotions of his audience, a skill honed during his earlier career as an actor and comedian. And it showcases Mr. Zelensky's well-chosen historical references designed to suit the audience of the day. Speaking to Britain's parliament, he echoes Winston Churchill. To the German Bundestag, he invokes the Berlin Wall. Before the war, many thought Mr. Zelensky's backstory made him unsuitable for office. Now, his experience as an entertainer seems his greatest strength. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Thursday Which children's toy was named after the 26th President of America? Wednesday which marsupial featured as a ferocious Warner Brothers cartoon character? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Georges Clemenceau, who died on this day in 1929. War is a series of catastrophes that results in a victory. That's the world in brief from The Economist. Available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. 
and subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.